Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Um, so the Bible reading is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day, com- the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Wow, what an accent that guy has. Unbelievable. Uh, Good afternoon, folks. Really good to see everyone. Um, out of interest, has anybody ever seen Hacksaw Ridge? Anybody? Yeah, two or three? A few? So I, I thought that was an incredible film, and I'm kind of disappointed at everyone's reaction right now, but that's okay. <laughs> so anyway, within Hacksaw Ridge, we had a guy who was a conscientious ob- objector. I had to copy and paste that. I can't spell con- conscientious. Conscientious objector, Desmond Doss, or Desmond T. Doss. What a guy. So he was, he was a medal honor medic who actually never fired a shot in the Second World War. So towards the end of, of the Second World War, um, Doss enlisted as a, as a medic, and after much difficulty through the, the military courts, um, he was granted access, he was granted license to go to war without a rifle. Wow, what a guy. But with a particular set of skills that even Liam Neeson would be proud of. And so what I want to say is whenever you enter a war zone, whether as a medic or whether as a civilian, you may experience the worst, the absolute worst that war can offer. And so it's important for us uh, this afternoon to realize this as well, for spiritually we are in a war zone. I know it doesn't seem like it, but spiritually we are in a war zone. Attacks are imminent. We're not to be surprised, but in fact we're we're actually expected to expect them. And yet, it's so easy for us to to think that we live in peacetime conditions, um, only to be surprised when we find ourselves under spiritual attack. Anyway, uh, C.H. Spurgeon, uh, I read a quote by him this week, and he he quotes and he says, when you sleep, remember that you're resting on the battlefield. When you travel, expect an ambush on every hedge. Wow. Whenever I read that, I initially became cynical, but I don't want you to become cynical. I'm not causing us to try to, to be cynical, but instead I'm calling us not to just to survive the battle, not to just survive the spiritual battle, but actually to stand in it. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't like hearing the end of a story before I get to it, but, but this afternoon I'm going to tell you the end of the story. The end of the story is this, that one day God will dispatch the devil entirely, amen? And he'll create a new earth where there'll be no evil, there'll be no mourning, where every tear will be wiped away. Because the old things have passed away and God's new creation will be fully here. That is the end of the story. And here's the reality. We are living in the overlap. We're living in the overlap. We know Christ's uh, resurrection is achieved for us in eternal glory that one day we'll fully experience. 
Um, but yet, until we get there, we, we live in a world full of brokenness. And so it's a classic now and not yet. The kingdom of God is here, is here now, is present within us, within followers of Jesus, but yet not in fullness. So the background, essentially, we're, we're going to be wrapping up Ephesians very, very shortly. We're in the last couple of weeks. And so Paul is beginning to wrap up the, the letter to the church. And so we've seen throughout the letter how, how God is treating uh, this, this people as a new society, a new society under Christ's headship of equal footing. So whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're male or female, no matter what you are, you're all equal under God's grace. And so in the second half of the letter, we, we've got then to see how we get to play our part in what God is doing. We've got to see what our lives would look like under Christ's headship, what our lives would look like under Christ's rule and reign within our communities. And that's the wider circle in our personal social lives, the kind of the middle circle. And then finally at home, the, as the circle closes in. So yet Paul reminds the, the readers that, um, that such, a life, such a life cannot be lived without an intense spiritual battle. And so for Paul, that battle became more and more intense as life went on. And ironically, he writes this letter with shackles on his feet. And so I, I totally get it if you want to get up and leave at this point. I totally get that. But it gets better, I promise. So Ephesians, uh, Ephesian culture that Paul was writing to was super spiritualistic. And so consider this. You have a population of around 200,000. They had temples to over 50 gods in the city. They were big into the occult and they thought a whole lot of the spiritual world. And so most of us, by, by contrast, don't think uh, that much of the spiritual world at all. And in fact, maybe some of us don't even believe in it. Maybe some of us don't even believe in the demonic powers. Uh, but consider this, Paul believed, Jesus believed, and Jesus even said that the thief comes to still, 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 still kill and destroy. Peter said that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for somebody to devour Wow, the, the, the spiritual realm is so, so real. So, so real. And so as we're drawing this series to a close in the next couple of weeks, it's key that, that what we are taught seeps into our very being. What we're taught absolutely seeps into our heart, seeps into our mind. Because otherwise we, we risk distancing, distancing ourselves from Christ, distancing ourselves from his community, and beginning to live compromised lives. And so the, this is kind of part of the, the heart behind uh, the month of renewal, is that what we are doing, we're, we're kind of taking stock of where we're at and where we want to go to. And I, I totally get that there's a, a bird behind me here. And so no matter what happens, I, I want you to be hearing what I'm saying because I'm convinced that Jesus has a word for you today. So today we're going to be looking at standing, standing strong and standing firm. Don't ask me what the difference is in these two. I assure you there is a difference. But standing strong... To be strong in the Lord, you must understand your weakness and know his strength. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You know, it's not about our strength in overcoming darkness. It's not about our strength in overcoming darkness, but ultimately about God's strength. Continue to be strengthened continually. That whenever this is written in the Greek, though Greek is so much more of a fun language, where it's so much clearer. This is a, a continual strengthening. It's not just go to the gym and be, be strong the rest of your life, but it's a continual strengthening in Christ. Continually be strengthened. The truth is that your strength can, can become a liability in spiritual warfare. I'll say it again. The truth is your strength 
can become a liability in spiritual warfare. In fact, if you feel weak, if you feel unqualified to engage in the spiritual realm, then you're in really good company, really good company. That's a good thing. You're at an advantage. You're likely to depend more on God's power than somebody who feels strong. And this is the key. If dependence is the objective, if dependence is the objective, then weakness becomes an advantage. Beware of your strengths, not of your weaknesses. Because your strengths are the places that you're actually likely to most forget God. Are there areas in your walk with God that you, you, you think are weak? Areas that you consider that are weak? Maybe there's areas where you think that, oh, I've got this sorted, it's all good, it's sweet. The devil doesn't stand a chance of getting a foothold here. I'm, I'm, I'm super at this. Yet your strengths are the places where you're most likely to forget God. And Paul is going, no, find your strength in him. Find your strength in him. Dependence is a new high ground. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. Dependence upon Christ is a new high ground. He's calling us to experience a strength that is not our own within the issue of prayer and spiritual warfare. So why? Why is because we have enemies. You know, verse 11 talks about the schemes of the devil. He is the head of demons, the fallen angels who are the enemies of God. Jesus called him a liar. Jesus called him a murderer. He's out to get us. He's out to deceive us. He's out to destroy us and rob us of our lives. And he's not alone. Verse 12 says that he is joined by the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, there's not just one spiritual being who's our enemy, but a whole range of them. They vary in rank, vary in authority, they vary in capability, but they're all opposed to us. You know, it's funny, you come to church and you always hear about God, you always hear about Jesus, you always hear about, about these good things, but we rarely hear about the devil. And so maybe it seems a little bit odd focusing on this. So, but the thing is, we don't know all the details about who your what is against us, and we don't need to. But what is absolutely key is that we fight this fight with the correct weapons. You don't go to a gunfight with a knife, amen? Amen. I assume that you're really intelligent. You don't go to a gunfight with a knife. And neither do you go to a spiritual war with physical armor. In fact, Chuck Norris is the only guy that can go to a gunfight with a knife and still win. Really, the word stand is repeated so many times in this passage. Whenever you see a, a, a passage with, with words in it, they just seem to repeat and repeat and repeat. Look at it. The word stand is repeated so often, and that's what Paul's goal is. The armor of God is the popular part of the passage, but the purpose of it as followers of Jesus is, is that we can actually stand and not be on the ground. You know, within a war context, if you're on the ground, you'll get stood on. Mentioned the rest, if you're on the ground, you're at a disadvantage. You're disadvantaged against the rider on the horse. You're, you're doing nobody good if you're on the ground, essentially. And, and boxing, if you go down, if you're on the ground, you're going to lose most often than not. If you stand, you might actually win. One of my favorite verses in the Psalms says, um, Psalm 18, 33 says, You make my feet like the feet of a deer and secures me on the heights. What the flip? You make my feet like the feet of a deer and secures me on the heights. You know, it's incredible. Do you ever see a deer on the mountain? A deer can literally scale a mountain that's so, so steep that men can't walk up. The feet of a deer are designed in a way to enable it to stand firm in places that others can't. That's a strength. It's part of its, part of its tactics. You know, the devil has tactics as well. The devil has schemes. He's got methods. 
Maybe he even if he's, he's got a book of methods, who knows? He's got methods for Dublin, that's a fact. He's got methods for you, he's got methods for me. He's actually got tailor-made methods, believe it or not. Methods that'll make us slip, methods that'll make us weak. Methods that'll ruin your life, church. You know, we, we, we can never say, oh, uh, oh I, I wish you had more money. If only I had more money, then that wouldn't be a problem. Or if I didn't have a computer, then that wouldn't be a problem because I couldn't see the, the bad things. Or maybe if only I had a husband or, or a wife, I'd be, I'd be free of these things. There's no point in addressing the symptom and avoiding the cause. Satan always has methods, he always has schemes. And we need to have the right armor to be protected against these. So we have enemies, they have tactics. Anybody heard of Sun Tzu? Probably, nobody, yeah, Edwin, awesome. Sun Tzu is a, a Chinese military general and he, and he, he came out with this quote, he didn't make it up, but he, he basically has a lot of wisdom and he, and he says, know thyself and know thy enemy. And so I'm gonna change it a little bit and say, uh, know your God and know your enemy. You know, the battle is up close and personal. The battle, the spiritual war, the way you're in is up close and personal. Paul uses a term here, wrestle. He uses a term, wrestle. And you know, this is actually an athletic wrestling and not a military wrestling. You know, a military wrestling would be, would be pretty easy. It would be warfare with drones, sitting back in, in, the, in the comfort of your, of your air base. But it's not that at all. Paul's using this term, this athletic term, wrestling, that's up close, that's personal, that's intense. And the battle for us takes place in our minds and in our hearts. And so what I want to say is know the enemy, but don't obsess. Amen. Know the enemy, but don't obsess. Know the victory is ultimately won in Christ. We know the end of the story so we can rejoice in that. Know the victory is ultimately won. But in the here and now, wear the right armor so that we can stand. So standing strong and then standing firm. So therefore put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet. Fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith. With which, you can with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. You know, Paul hasn't come to the very end of this letter and thought, oh, flip, I've, I've absolutely forgot. I, I need to add in this, this bit at the end. But rather, each of these pieces of armor are not random pieces thrown together. Consider it, Paul is in Rome here at this stage. He's writing from a prison. Chances are he is chained to a guard. In, in some prisons, they'd be chained to a wall. For some other prisoners, they'd be chained to a physical guard. And can you imagine him sitting up against the wall and there's this guard that, that's with him. Maybe he's on a 10-hour shift. Maybe it's a five-hour. Who knows? But Paul has got him there. I'm sure that Paul absolutely nailed him the gospel time and time again. And he's sitting looking at the guard and he's thinking, wow, I, I can see what you're wearing. Man, there's so much gospel application in this. You know, each of these pieces of armor I'm going to go through are actually a way to apply the gospel that Paul's been talking about in the letter. And so putting on these pieces is how you accomplish this command. In verse 10, do you see the command in verse 10? Finally, be strong in the Lord. Paul's not actually saying, I, I hope you're strong. I hope you're well. I hope you're strong. Paul's commanding him, be strong in the Lord. Become strong in the Lord. And so Paul's gospel message, is, first of all, is saying that yourself is weak and trusting in God's power, trusting in his free gift. Remember Ephesians 2, that free gift that we've been given, the free gift of grace. 
And so you first become a Christian when you realize that, that you cannot be righteous enough, that I cannot be righteous enough, Matthew can't be righteous enough to save himself. I'm going to have to depend on God. I'm going to have to actually accept the free gift of Jesus' grace to save me. And so in the same way, in the same way we gain spiritual power, church, I'm convinced we gain spiritual power when we realize that we cannot overcome the spiritual darkness in the world without help, without the Holy Spirit's enabling. You know, the funny thing is here, armor doesn't make you strong. Armor doesn't make you stronger at all. Armor there protects you. And so it's funny, Paul's saying, be strong in the Lord, but yet he, he lists all this power. He lists all this armor. So Paul's saying, be strong, and he lists armor, but, but armor doesn't make you strong. So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, internalize the metaphor. Internalize the armor. Not put on a physical armor. You know, put on a physical armor, that's all well and good against, against sticks and stones. You ever hear that story, sticks and stones may break my bones? Words will never hurt me. I used to say that as a kid. I was picked on in primary school because I was a, a little guy. And I remember saying that and then thinking, man, that's not true at all. The sticks and stones may break my bones, but it's often the words that hurt me the most. So that sounds absolute crap. Sorry, we can take that out of the recording. <laughs> With that as a backdrop, with that as a backdrop, let us see these parts of the armor as vulnerable parts of our lives. Let's see the, these parts of the armor as application to the vulnerable parts of our lives. Belt of truth. The standard dress for Jews and Romans was to wear a robe. And so let, let's, just, let's just jump back uh, 2,000 odd years ago and consider that, that whether we're a Jew, a Gentile, whether we're a Roman, whether we're a Syrian, doesn't matter. We'd, chances are we'd be in a robe, a big long robe down to, down to our ankles. And imagine going into battle in a robe, trying to move swiftly, trying to move nimbly in, in a robe. And the robe's down around the ankles. And can, can you imagine it? It just doesn't happen. You trip over it. I don't, I don't know, you, you couldn't kick too well. It would be an absolute handling. It's nearly as bad as skinny jeans in war. And so what do you do? You, you hike it up. Um, I'm sure the woman have more experience than men on this, but you, you, whether it's a long skirt, you hike it up, you tuck it in, you do something with it to, to get it out of the way. The belt of truth was absolutely key for hiking up the, the bits and pieces of, of the robe and then you put it around you and then you'd fasten it with the belt, a heavy belt. And so what do you do? You apply the belt of truth. You surround yourself with truth. Guys, how do you determine what is true in your life? How do you determine what's true in your life? You know, some people rely on a moral compass. What they feel is right. If, I feel it, if it feels right, then it must be right. And so for others, maybe it's following the whims of popular opinion. The societal norms are... Or, or whatever their favorite people, or whatever their favorite celebrities or stars of Hollywood say. I remember Kiefer Sutherland, Jack Bauer in 24, one of my heroes. He came out with something that I disagreed with a while back. I'm like, oh no, man, Jack Bauer, you're my hero, you're my man. I can't believe you just come out with that. You know, if I'm, if I'm going to model myself in Jack Bauer, then I'm going to have to agree with what, what he's agreeing with and follow his way. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We need to let the word of God establish truth in every hour of our, area of our lives. You know, Paul was saying the only way to escape the, uh, the deception of the enemy is to allow the word of God to establish the truth of God in every area of our lives. You know, from the very start, Genesis 3, Satan begins to question. He begins to question humanity and he says, did God really say it? Did God really say it? 
you know, Eve, Eve was, was saying, she was told that, um, you know, you can eat from any, any tree, absolutely anything here, apart from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because otherwise you will surely die. And then Satan creeps up, he slathers up, and he says, did God really say that? Did he really say that? Sowing the seed of doubt. And you know, Satan raises the same question for centuries and centuries. Satan's goal is to do one of two things to God's words in our lives. One, doubt it, or two, neglect it. There are two things that Satan tries to do in our lives. One, to doubt it, two, to neglect it. And you know, for many of us, it's not that we doubt God. It's not that we doubt what God's word says, but it's actually that we neglect it. You know, we, we believe that what God says is true. Most of us do. But it just isn't a priority. It just doesn't shape every aspect of our lives. But if what God says is true, then why aren't we devouring it? Why aren't we devouring every single morsel? You know, in, in neglecting God's truth, what we're really doing is we're allowing the robe to be at our ankles, tripping us up. We're allowing the robe to be at our ankles, tripping us up. I want to encourage you. Maybe, maybe that's it. There are seven pieces of armor. I'm going to rattle through some of them quick, some of them slower. But this one, maybe this is for you. I want you to hold on to it. I want you to apply it. I want you to, to, to put the belt on this week. You know, the second one, breastplate of righteousness. Remember the classic story of the great hero, Achilles? He seemed to be absolutely invincible. And the legend is that his mother, when he was a baby, dipped him into some kind of magical potion. It covered his entire body with an invincible shield. But when she dipped him into this substance, she held him by the tip of his heel. So that one portion of his body was not covered with a magic solution. And so it was there that in the course of the great battle in the Trojan War, Achilles was struck in the hill by an arrow and he was slain. He had one uncovered point on his entire body where he was vulnerable. You know, when, when believers, when followers of Jesus are living in unconfessed sin, they, we, are vulnerable to the assaults of Satan. Achilles had one uncovered point in his body where he was vulnerable. And so the breastplate covers the vital organs. And, you know, it's Paul telling us to saturate every area of our lives with obedience to God so there's no room for the devil to penetrate. You know, Satan will use whatever, whatever part of your life that is not surrendered to God, and he'll use that as his focal point of attack. You know, maybe, maybe it's a bad habit. Maybe it's a habit that you can't shake. Could it be relationships that you foster? Could it be the secret sin that, that maybe nobody ever hears about? It's only it's just you, the secret sin that... But you know, even, even your pastor, your, maybe your, your spouse doesn't know about. Maybe it's a temptation that you just can't say no to. Or you know what, it could even be the good things. It could be the good things in life. It could be where you spend your money. It could be your career path. It could maybe be your social life. I want to tell you, whatever area of your life is not brought under obedience to God's word, it's going to be a focal point of attack in your life. I want that to wash over whatever area in your life isn't surrendered to God's word, that'll be the focal point of attack in your life. Third piece is shoes for your feet, shoes of readiness. Right shoes are a must of where to adopt the right posture toward God and flee from the enemy. You know, my in, in the last church I belonged to, one of the elders is a real old guy now, and he got these kind of funny shoes. I don't know the name of them, but you know the ones, are, they're like boats. What, not sure what they're called. I don't know. Anyway, the, these shoes that are apparently so comfortable, so good for your posture, and he's, he's probably in his 70s now, and he thought they were cool, that's all well and good, and I ended up slagging him quite a bit, because that's what you do if you're Irish, and then all of a sudden my dad ended up in a pair, 
as well. So apparently they're, they're cool for somebody in their 50s, but right shoes are an absolute must. You'll be getting them shortly, Steve, so I don't know what you're laughing about. The right shoes are an absolute must if we're going to have a posture towards God and flee from the enemy. You know, bad feet or injured feet in ancient Near East were an absolute no-no. If protection of the feet was inadequate, then the army couldn't carry out its mission. Whenever, uh, whenever King, King Saul died and then and David uh, came on the scene, uh, David and Jonathan were best friends, and Jonathan's son was a guy called Mephibosheth. Don't ask me to say it again. But whenever David died and, uh, and Solomon was, was now king, um, Mephibosheth had a place at the table. And he, he shouldn't have had a place at the table. He should have been put to death. But anyway, that's another story. But the reality is he had a place at the table because, because David was kind to him. And you know, the problem with him is he was lame on both feet. And I, I know this sounds terrible and it's not PC today, but somebody who was lame on both feet in ancient Near East was absolutely useless, was fit for nothing and good for nothing. You know, if you, you were going to go to war, you, you couldn't go to war in a, in a wheelchair. You had to have feet that were fit for action. Again, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. If you put on the shoes of readiness that's given by the gospel of peace, your feet are like an attacking weapon. They carry you into battle. The primary use of the gospel isn't often for defensive purposes as much as it is, but in fact for pressing forward, for carrying the gospel to those around us, for, act, for active engagement. And so first Paul calls the gospel the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. You know, I, I want to tell you that issuing forgiveness where it is not due, actively forgiving those who wrong you, that is part of the gospel of peace. Perhaps the strongest way to extinguish the flaming arrows of Satan in this world is by extending the same forgiveness to others that Christ has experienced or Christ has extended to us. You know, nothing makes you, now this sounds offensive and I'm, I'm not sorry, but nothing makes you more like Satan than taking on responsibility at getting back at people who hurt you. Carrying around hurt, carrying around bitterness actually helps us become more like Satan. But by that same token, nothing makes you more like Christ and extending the hand of forgiveness to those who least deserve it. We need to be quick and we need to be free to forgive others. You know, people can't, people can't believe in the gospel they've never heard about. I think forgiving others is an incredible way of, of getting, a, getting a, a gospel line into conversation. Unless we take the gospel to others, they'll never hear it. Martin Luther said it in this way, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if nobody ever heard about it. Point four, shield of faith. The shield of faith that extinguishes the fiery darts of the evil one. You know, these weren't little round shields that you would have uh, seen Aurelius Maximus of, of, uh, of Gladiator carrying. These weren't the, the little things that if you're shot with an arrow, it would only maybe protect about one square foot. These things were like six to eight feet tall, literally two times my height, three to four foot wide. Soldiers would have marched with these, like four or five of these abreast um, towards a city in unison. I don't know if you've seen it in, in films, but you'd have had four or five of these abreast. You would have maybe had four or five soldiers deep and there would have been the, the shields on top. There's a name for it. I don't know. I don't care. But they would have approached the city and, and these shields would have been absolutely impenetrable. The fiery darts are the lies that Satan throws out. You know, darts can penetrate and darts can injure, but fiery darts can sear and they can scar us deeply. You know, the lies Satan tells us I don't know, maybe some of these lies sound familiar to you. 
Maybe he just doesn't care. Maybe God just doesn't care about you anymore. Maybe he's fed up with your excuses that you've sinned time and time again. You keep returning to the same sin and you keep making the same, the same excuses over and over. Maybe God doesn't even exist at all, you're hearing. You know, these aren't lies that we can hide behind with logic. But instead, we can guard ourselves with the shield of faith. We can hide behind and we can protect our hearts and our minds with the shield of faith. Trusting that what God says is true. Maybe it's a difficulty you're going through in your life. You can trust and, and say these words that this too shall pass. You know, what voices are you listening to during the week? What voices are you allowing to speak into your life? What voices are you allowing yourself to be most influenced by? You know, it's said that you become the average of the five people you spend most time with. What are we feeding our souls with? What are we feeding our souls with? And so I suppose personally, when I hold the, the shield of faith in my life, it's not that I'm doubting God. It's not that I don't believe that he's in control, but it's because I know that he is in control, that this too shall pass, that I'm preventing my soul from being polluted by the things of the enemy, polluted, polluted by the lies of the enemy. So the shield is used to extinguish the fiery darts. I want to tell you, don't argue with Satan. Don't argue with him. Don't reason with him. Genuinely, you, you've no need to actually address him. But just run back straight to the gospel, straight to what the gospel says is true about God. Cling to it, hide behind it, stand on it with fifth piece, helmet of salvation. Take up the helmet of salvation. The head is where we think. And you know, it's absolutely vital that the truth of God's grace saturates our minds. The helmet protects the minds. In, in warfare, it's so easy for the head to be dealt a fatal blow. Um, thankfully for followers of Jesus, Satan doesn't have the power to do that to Christians. He can attack the mind, though. He can attack the mind and render it useless. You know, there's so many Christians that I've met that, that say, you know what, it's just it's so much easier to live, uh, just live with the world. It's so much easier just to slip into this, this mindset and not follow Jesus anymore. It's so much easier. And, and the reality is it's because they've allowed Satan to attack the mind and convince them that living for the world is so much better than living for Jesus. And I rebuke that. And here's one of the ways that I do that. In the morning time, I, I try and get up and, and say these words to myself. I don't say it out loud, otherwise I might wake an Emma. But I say these words to myself as often as I can. This day is yours, Lord, as is every day. And I'm convinced that, that repeating little aspects of truth about God's character, about God's will, about God's goodness, about God's grace will help set us up for the day. I want to encourage you to do something similar. Maybe you've got something similar. There's a pastor in America and he, he has a, he's got a rocking chair and he, he, he goes for coffee with God every morning. That's his place. He meets with God. And I suppose for me, mine is, is this day is yours, Lord, as is every day. This day is yours, as is every day. I'd encourage you to get something, hold on to it, apply it. And essentially, that's the helmet of salvation. Final one, the sword of the Spirit. Taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, Paul is telling us again and again, master this book, master this letter, master this book, master the Word of God, which gives us the ability to counteract Satan's lies. You know, it's the Word of God that actually gives us the ability to escape the corruption of the enemy. Amen. 
It's the word of God that gives us the ability to escape the corruption of the enemy. You know, we're to internalize it, we're to digest it, we're to, we're to essentially allow it to shape our thoughts, shape our actions, shape our mindset. You know, this is the first piece of armor that is entirely there to allow us to go fully on the offensive, to allow us to go fully on the attack. The other pieces are protectors and they're enablers. And you know, all the way back in Genesis 3, and Satan downplays the consequences. Satan sows the seed of doubt, and for centuries he's been doing the same. And even in, in Luke 4, Jesus has just been baptized, and he's about to start his ministry. And after being baptized, you know, heaven opens, and, and the Father says to him, as the Spirit has, has, been, has been pushed down on him, has been lowered down on him, the Father says, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. You know, for the... the the four women that got baptized in the past two weeks, the father says the very same again. This is, this is my daughter. These are my daughters whom I love. With them I am well pleased. And you know, after Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit sent them out to the wilderness for 40 days of fasting and prayer. And in the wilderness, Jesus and the devil had an encounter. Jesus and Satan had an encounter. And, and Satan says to him, if, if you're really the son of God, then command stone to become bread doesn't mean too much for us but imagine being in the, in the desert 40 days you're absolutely starving the devil hits jesus where it hurts with food if you're the son of god then command the stone to become bread and jesus answers and answers with the scripture and he says man will not live by bread alone man will not live by bread alone and the enemy devil goes away and he comes back again the next time and, and he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, these will all be yours if you only do one thing, if you'll bow down and worship me. You know, Jesus answers with, with scripture again, with the word of God again. And he says, you will worship the Lord your God and him only will you serve. And then a third time it happens. You know, if you're the son of God, then throw yourself down from the temple and surely the angels will, will, will capture you. You're the son of God, so the angels will have you. And Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And you know what I want to tell you, the reality is that the devil knows scripture. The devil may even know more scripture than you. It knows more than me. But the thing is, the devil trusts scripture. The devil manipulates scripture. And unless we actually know the word of God and internalize it and live, live it out in our day-to-day -day lives, then we're at risk of compromise. And so for those of you who've just been baptized, be on your guard. No public declarations for Jesus invite resistance and opposition. If you feel under attack from Satan, then you're in good company. If you feel like you're going through hell, then you know what? Keep going. Keep going. Psalm 30, verse 5, David says, Weeping may last for a moment, or weeping may last during the night, but joy comes in the morning. You know, I lost my grandfather a couple of weeks ago. That's his second grandfather in, in like three months. And so I've, I've had 29 years of privilege of knowing these two men. And so I, I suppose for me, these past couple of weeks have been times of grief. And, and so for me, Psalm 30 verse five, weeping may last for a moment, but joy comes in the morning is so key for me. Now that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm weeping at nighttime. It doesn't mean that when the sun goes down, I get sad and that whenever the sun comes up, I'm full of joy. But the reality is that weeping may last for a moment and joy comes in the morning means that, you know, weeping will last for a certain time and a certain season that season will pass but joy will come but joy will come again you know when life cuts us we need to bleed God's word when life cuts us we need to bleed God's word 
I want to encourage you, no matter what season you're in, no matter where you're at with Jesus, weeping may last for a moment, but joy will come in the morning. There is a way through. And God wants to take you on that. You know, in, in closing, the Ephesian church became more conscious of the powers around them than the power within them. In Christ City Church, we need to be so much more conscious of the power within us than the powers around us. You know, we, we're, in the, we're in the city of Dublin, we're in the capital of Ireland. You can maybe say the capital of spirituality in Ireland as well. We've been bombarded with, you should do this with, you should do that with, this is the right way, this is the right way. We've been, been bombarded with the people who reject religion, but a lot more people are saying now that they're more spiritual than ever. So spirituality is hugely on the rise and, and religion is on the, is on the downfall. You know, I, I see an incredible gospel opportunity here. Because if we get to internalize the word of God, then we get to show what true spiritual life actually looks like. You know, the church in Ephesus would totally have got Paul is saying, get back to basics with God, don the armor again to hit, reset, clothe yourselves properly with the things of God, to re-envisage and re-envision themselves for what lies ahead. And so guys, that's what we're doing this month of May. Let's do that. Let's hit reset. Maybe let's hit pause. Let's refresh. Let's use this time. Let's use this month to intentionally press in to what God has sent to us. Again, you don't go to a gunfight with a knife. And neither do you go to spiritual war with physical armor. And so it's key that we don't try and apply our physical strength, our knowledge, our, our eloquence, our bravery to a battle that requires, uh, requires a spiritual armor, a battle that requires spiritual weapons. You know, this battle isn't against flesh and bones. So let us instead draw alongside the one who can provide the strength. Can I invite the worship team back up, please? You know, the, the cross of Jesus shows how much passion God has for the world. And the resurrection shows with how much power he is willing to save it. You know, God is willing to pour out this very same power, this very same strength upon every one of us. If only we ask. Emma reminded me the other day of if you don't ask, you don't get. And I want to encourage you, and this is a chance, let's respond, let's ask, let's, let's press in for more of God. Let's ask for more of him in our lives. We're going to be looking next week at praying in the Spirit. Will you stand with me here as, as, as I pray? Prayer in the Spirit is a dynamic power of God being released upon our lives and upon this city. And life is a war. But we have a God who was and is willing to fight for us. And if we feel weak, then that is a good thing, church. That is a good thing. We stand knowing our weakness. We stand strong knowing God's strength. And therefore, dependence becomes our objective and weakness becomes our advantage. We stand firm because we don the armor of God. Because we internalize the armor. And the thing that is meant to protect, we internalize that it may, may become our weapon. So God... We, we, we pray that this armor would not be something that is a, a physical strength, but is something that, that you help strengthen us in. Whether it is the belt of truth, whether it is the breastplate of righteousness, maybe it's the sword of the spirit, whatever piece of armor it is, God, I pray that, that, uh, that we would put it on and that, and that as we do that, 
as we do that, we can stand against the schemes of the devil that, that we can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, that we can reject the lies of the enemy. We want to see the expansion of your kingdom here in Dublin. We want to see the expansion of your kingdom here in Christ City Church. We want to see the expansion of your kingdom in our lives. And so, Father, will you equip us with the right tools? Will you equip us with a spiritual armor? That this warfare we go to isn't against flesh and, uh, and bones. It's not against flesh and blood, but it is, it is against the, the, the enemy, the evil one. So, Father, may we know our enemy, but may we know better our God. And may we rejoice in the fact, Jesus, that the, that, that the battle is won, that the victory is won, that one day that you will come back and that you will silence the enemy for good. And we thank you, Jesus, that, that the enemy has no power over us, but that you are the one that holds the keys to life and death. And so, Father, if, if there's anyone here uh, this afternoon who... Who, who wants to follow you again, who wants to hit reset, and Jesus, I pray that you'd strengthen them, you'd enable them to, to come forward, to come up at the end and, and, and then give their lives over to you again. In your name, amen.